Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. New study out on what's been an ongoing issue, and that being food allergies, and more specifically, how schools are expected to, to deal with these kinds of situations. Nobody wants a child to have a fatal allergic reaction at all, let alone in a school setting. So how are these kinds of situations uh, to be dealt with? Now, it's become fairly commonplace uh, for schools to have peanut bans. Whether they be peanuts, peanut products, you know, peanut butter, any of that, uh, that most schools tend to ban those products for that reason to prevent a student with a severe allergy from having a potentially fatal allergic reaction. But are schools obligated to go that far? Obviously, there are other serious allergies that exist that that don't fall under these these bans. Again, it's not to say that schools just simply absolve themselves of any responsibility for dealing with these kinds of situations, but it doesn't have to include food bans. At least that's the conclusion of this new study that food allergies, severe food allergies, uh, do need to be considered a disability, do need to be accommodated in schools. But that does not mean that food bans are a a legal mandate that flows from them. Joining us to talk more about this newly published research, uh, one of the co-authors joins us uh, on the line here this afternoon, Eric Adams, Associate Professor of Law at the University of Alberta. Professor Adams, good to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Oh, thanks, Rob. Nice to be here. Well, when we look at, you know, the legal reality around all of this, I mean, do we have a a lot of case law that that we can look at? We don't have that much, but what we do have uh, does provide some, I think, important information. And we went in wanting to answer that question, just how many cases are out there involving people suffering from allergies? Have they been making constitutional claims? Have they been making successful human rights claims? What is the legal status of folks that are suffering from allergies? And and then the second part of our question was, depending on on the first answer, what is the legal status, then then what should we do about it? And in particular, our focus was on the school setting and and how schools respond. Uh, The question of uh, allergies as a disability, which is not a medical question so much in this context as it is a legal question, if if something is considered to be a disability, what, what flows from that? That's a great question. So both uh, provincial human rights laws and the Canadian Charter have identified physical disability as one of those things that people experience discrimination about. And so we know that people in our society who suffer from various kinds of diverse physical disabilities can find full participation in the life of the community difficult because of the barriers 
many of them completely invisible to the rest of us who aren't suffering from various kinds of disability or dealing with disabilities um, that, that prevent their full participation. And so human rights law and constitutional law have, have recognized that people dealing with physical disabilities and allergies actually fall within that definition are protected by the law. What that means is that it requires institutions who offer services to the public, like education, have to take in mind the, um, the, the, they have to accommodate the participation of people who might otherwise be prevented from doing so because of those disabilities. And so maybe I'll make this specific. If you think about people who have serious allergies and, and are going to react badly, perhaps even fatally to coming into ingesting a food product, then, you know, those people need to be able to go to school safely. And we went in wondering, you know, what kinds of cases those people have, have tended to, to, to bring up. And what we discovered in the case law is that although there aren't that many cases, it's pretty uniform that disabilities, of course, have been recognized as including uh, allergy sufferers and that those uh, are protected under human rights law. So that's, that was the first step in our analysis that at least got us partway to the answer. Mm -hmm. Step number one, people who suffer from allergies are deserving of human rights protection. I mean, like, wheelchair accessibility would be an obvious one then, right? Yeah. Where, where schools would be obligated to, to accommodate a student uh, who's in a wheelchair, and it's pretty commonplace now to see it at schools where wheelchair ramps exist, uh, et cetera. Um, so the, the parallel then to allergies, as you say, that uh, a student with a severe, potentially fatal allergy would, would have some expectation of not being exposed to that. So w what does that imply for the school? Um, right. And that was the second part then of our thinking. How does the world respond? And anecdotally, um, as parents, we already know the answer to that because I've got two school-aged children myself, and I know that uh, unlike when I went to school, uh, there's no such thing as, as peanut butter sandwiches in, uh, in elementary school um, across, across Canada really anymore. Um, that that peanut uh, bans and tree nut bans, I think more generally, have been the very typical response to the real issues that schools were facing, which is that we schools said, wait a minute, we've we've got kids that are that are in our classrooms and in the lunchroom that suffer from these kinds of allergies. What's our response? Get rid of all the nuts, and that's been the most common response from most schools um, across Canada, and. We uh, wanted to test the whether the medical evidence that that exists about allergies backs up the science on the necessity of those bans. That is, is banning tree nuts actually the best way to deal with allergies in schools? Number one, and number two, is that is it legally required? Um, was our second question. And we're a little bit surprised by some of the medical research out there on allergies that um, that ran against our intuitions a little bit. Well, expand on that then. So, Because it, it, it sounds like what you're suggesting is that schools are obligated to, to ban those, those kinds of products, but your findings are that they're really not. 
I guess it, it's, uh, it's it, it, I put it this way. What we found is that, if I go back to point number one, that, that sufferers of allergy have these human rights obligations, schools have to respond in some way. And the way that most schools have responded is with, is with bans. But when we look at the research, Rob, what we actually discover is that it's not clear that schools that totally ban tree nuts actually offer a safer environment than students with different levels of response. And, and, and let me explain what I mean by that. When you look at the incident rates of anaphylactic reactions in schools with peanut bans and in schools without full bans, the incident rates end up being about the same. And there is, there is some literature that suggests even that um, full bans may actually create less safe environments for individuals dealing with, with nut allergies. Um, and that's the part that surprised us and led us to conclude that, that actually the way to respond to your legal obligations of dealing with allergy sufferers may not actually be a one-size-fits-all uh, red strike through the peanut on the door, ban this stuff. Actually, there may be a reason for schools and school boards and the province to think a little bit harder about about how to respond appropriately to the ban uh, to to peanut allergies and tree nut allergies generally. Right, and, and I mean, you know, for example, I mean, anecdotally, um, you know, there are those who have uh, severe dairy allergies. It's it's not quite as common as, as tree nut allergies, but they, they can be severe. Uh, but typically schools wouldn't have wouldn't have bans on dairy products that, that's again, these students would have some expectation of, of protection. But we we find other ways of dealing with that. And maybe it's on a school by school or a case by case basis. I think that's right. So the point is not that um, people who are allergic to eggs and, and milk or anything else under the sun don't have those same human rights entitlements to a safe school environment. They, they do, just like tree nut allergy sufferers. But the issue is, what is the best way to deal with the reality of those um, allergy sufferers in an environment in which you have a diverse population of some people who obviously don't uh, have those allergies and and here is where the 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 nuanced policy positions begin to be placed on the on the table in our in our research which is that in fact um there may be, there's evidence that that either either a partial ban that 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 some rooms may ban particular kinds of products may be one way of dealing with it or a vigilance policy that has a no-sharing-food policy may actually create greater vigilance on the part of, 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 of allergy sufferers and non-allergy sufferers um, that actually keeps people safer, and maybe it better reflects the realities of the real world in which you're not going to find a, a nut a ban when you go to the movie theater or you go to the mall or you go to a, a sports stadium. And so, so maybe actually creating spaces where everybody is on alert for uh, non-food sharing vigilance may actually promote greater awareness among everybody to keep allergy sufferers safe rather than, look, we dealt with this already by putting uh, a peanut ban in place. Now, actually, we don't really need to monitor what kids are doing with their, with their lunches anymore. The reality is a, a response that is actually more vigilant and more in tuned to the possibility that some kids you know, might have a peanut product in their lunch may actually 
counterintuitively a little bit, um, end up keeping everybody a bit safer. So, so what we're saying in our study is bans, total food bans have been popular for a bunch of reasons. I think because it's easy. And number two, because schools have been risk averse. They don't want to get sued and they don't want to deal with with parents who say, you know, why why is your school an unsafe place for my for my child who has this this allergy? And that's all understandable. Um, I understand why that's been the policy response. And our point is, maybe that's not necessarily the right policy response in all kinds of environments. And here we draw a distinction, for example, between you know the age of your kids. So daycares, uh, kindergarten, the best way to deal with those scenarios is full bans. Because you can't tell those kids not to share lunches. They share it. Uh, they, don't, they don't get it. And so, so the safest course of action for very young kids is a total ban. But by the time kids start to get older and the bans have persisted into, into you know, grades 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, in some cases high schools, actually a different kind of response from schools may, be, may serve allergy sufferers and the rest of the public better. What's well, interesting because uh, legally we can look at, at whether bans are necessary, but even scientifically, as as you note, and the study points out that there has been recent scientific evidence that suggests that food bans do not render allergy sufferers safer. So uh, it's just another reason for why maybe we should be looking at at other options. I think that's right, and and you know, we, again, we would encourage school communities to make sure that they're also part of of keeping track of the best scientific evidence on allergies as opposed to a lot of the internet myths that exist about allergies. So there is, there is no good medical research to suggest that, you know, uh, you can ingest peanuts through the air. This, this is not an airborne uh, illness, even though you hear about that. Um, and I think some parents are concerned about that because that's that idea is out there, that uh, the peanut dust can get in the air, the oil can get onto a basketball and then kill somebody. And the reality is, is that the best trained medical experts who have looked at this research say that just doesn't happen. Um, and so we want schools to, rather than falling into the trap of, of believing the myths uh, about, uh, about peanuts, which simply aren't true, to actually do their research on on how to best protect kids who are dealing with these allergies, and at the same time, not institute a ban which which may in fact not serve everybody's interests. Yeah, great point, Eric. We'll leave it there. Uh, thanks so much for joining us here today. Really do appreciate this. My pleasure, Rob. Take care, Eric Adams, uh, co-author of this uh, study published this week. He's an associate professor of law at the University of Alberta. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.